views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to the hit show, Mouthing Off with Chef Rossi. Each show, Rossi, a.k.a. Chef Rossi, and author of the hit memoir, The Raging Skillet, mouths off about different subjects in a pursuit of breaking down walls and opening up our minds. Look out. She and Dr. Pat banter back and forth using the subject of each show as a framework for uplifting, inspiring, and what exuberant conversations. So get ready for that appetizer that will wet your whistle as we lean into the main course of the day. Issues, conversations, things that are heavy on your minds, but lightening up your heart. And ending each show off with that sweet, sweet, sweet dessert of inspiration. Now, here is your host, Chef Rossi. Chef Rossi! Hey, Dr. Pat, what is taking? <laughs> oh, my God, it's so great to be connecting with you today. I love that introduction. That is Thank so you. fun. I know. It gets me in a good mood. <laughs> it gets me in a good mood. Now, today today is like a really super cool show. Um, but before we get into the show, you know, one of the things that I love is let's talk a little bit about you. And the reason I want to talk about you is because, you know, out in the world, we have a sense of how to live our dream, you know, how to take our ideas to the forefront. And, you know, you've been somebody that not only is living your dream, but you dream bigger Then you dream bigger. And you and I just had a call for a whole kind of different direction for the radio show and how it's going to integrate everything. But this is the message today, isn't it? It's for us to kind of rise up and rise above and do some good stuff. So you're doing good stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of all about living large. That's kind of like where I'm at right now. It's like, you know, you can live small and take little baby steps and be afraid of things and not stand up and not speak out and not take chances. Or you can live large. And, you know, living large is not about money or power, you know, like some people think it is. You know, living large is about living your true and authentic life and reaching for your dreams. Your dreams may seem kind of crazy, but you got to reach for them. You got to try. Yeah, I want to just let's just take a let's just take a little trip down memory lane for a moment. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is since you and I met, right? And we met through a, a mutual friend, Gail Tour. Right. Since That's you and Gail. I met, yeah. There have been some love kinds of things happening for you, and what I mean oh, by yeah. that is. Let's talk about the book and then take us on a journey as to what happened with the book, where this idea of loving food and food is love, where it's taken you. Take us on a little trip for what you've been up to. It's such a crazy journey. Well, I just started writing about this a lot lately because I keep coming back to the same um, phrase that I've been saying a lot for a lot of different reasons, which is that food is love. But on the very first event that I went to on my book tour back 
even it was the book wasn't even out yet. It was just a galley, an uncorrected proof galley. And my publishing company, the Feminist Press, had me go to this giant event at the Javits Center called the BEA, which is like Book Expo America. And they were like thousands and thousands of people there. And so I thought, well, you know, what would entice these thousands of people to come see little old me? So I brought some peanut butter and bacon sandwiches that I made. Oh, and, um, peanut butter you know, and bacon. Oh, man, it's like white trash glory. Oh, so what happened was a really long line of people formed. I don't know if they were there to see me or read my book or if they were enticed by the smell of the bacon, but they all got online. And so it was going great. I'm like, oh, wonderful. They were all so loving, and they would, like, shove five sandwiches in their mouth, and it made them happy. And I'm looking at this long line of people, and they were almost entirely women. And there's one guy online who was dressed in the same color as, like, a UPS delivery person would be wearing this shade of brown. And he had this scraggly beard, and he looked kind of crazy. So now I come, you know, by now at this point in my life, I know that I have a neon sign on my head. I've always had it, which is like crazy people apply (laughs) here, you know. So I'm like, of course he's here to see me. Anyway, he gets all the way up and he says, I want to turn your book into a play. And so I thought, well, he's crazy. So I just stayed very nice. You have to be nice and polite. You don't want to, you know, incite violence. And, you know, he, we talked for a while, and then I didn't really think much more of it. But he stayed in touch, and he said, I think he knew that I wasn't taking him seriously. He's like, why don't you Google me? His name was Jock Lamar. So I Googled him, and it turned out he was the real deal. I mean, really a playwright, very accomplished. And he had a great success with turning a food memoir into a play, and the theater that produced it wanted him to do it again. And so I'm like, oh, it's a good thing I was nice to him. Anyway, so we stayed in touch, and while we were staying in touch, I was on my book tour. Now, I had been told um, by a lot of people, including people at my publishing company, that you have to understand you're going to be really a big deal a few months after your book comes out. You know, So my book was coming out in November. We had a bunch of big, giant openings and launches, and, you know, it was very exciting. And everyone just sort of gently told me, you know, just understand, you know, six months after your book comes out, you're sort of yesterday's news. Oh. So I was, like, emotionally prepared for that. But the tour kept going. Um, and as a matter of fact, this November will be two years after the book came out, and I still have a date I'm going to be appearing at East End Books in Provincetown for Women's Week. We're working out the date and the time. It'll be in October. And I'm going to be in Richmond, Virginia in November, and it's like turning into the world's longest book tour. But I'm getting off track here. No, you're not. You're totally on track. Totally on track. Well, finally. I finally got on that friggin' track. Yeah. I finally (laughs) got on forever. So one day I'm in Los Angeles in my hotel visiting my dad, and the playwright, um, we at this point had not, I hadn't signed a contract. We had no formal agreement. He emails me the entire first draft of the play. So I'm like, this guy is so brave. I mean, he spent months of work, 100 pages or whatever it was. He wrote the entire play. Like, what if I didn't like it? You know, like all that work down the toilet. So I was like hoping I was going to like it. And I was like in the hotel room alone laughing out loud. I mean, just cracking up. I mean, I couldn't imagine how someone was going to take my book and turn it into a three-person play, and it was brilliant. And, you know, from that point on, he's 
tweaked it and rewritten it and rewritten. I think it's been rewritten maybe 12 times. Yeah, yeah. At every step along the way, we've had these great long conversations. And he said at one point he has to stop talking to me because every time he gets off the phone, the play goes 10 minutes longer. Uh-huh. And so the finished product, I would say, you know, maybe 20 or 30% of the play came from those conversations. Some of the funniest moments in the play came from our great conversations. So... Not only was it a wonderful experience, but I also knew that I had a new friend because we were just such great kismet. It was really just a great experience in every way. So finally, my girlfriend Lydia and I are out in Hartford for a Jewish book festival, (laughs) and that's where Jacques Lamar lives and his husband Arthur. And he said, I want you to come see the theater that your play is going to be performed at. And so I thought, you know, this could be a self-esteem issue. I have to just, you know, kind of get into at some point. But I thought, you know, this is going to be like a dump on the highway with strippers or something. It's just going to be some little shack of a theater. And so I get there, and it's this gorgeous, you know, Lincoln Center-style theater with, like, a big picture of Richard Dreyfus hanging, who was in the play in the moment. I mean, it's like a serious, gorgeous, fabulous theater called Theater Works in Hartford. And I was like, oh, my God. It was like I couldn't even believe it. So from that moment that I met Jock, um, more than two years went by before the play actually had its first night of of, uh, its previews. Mm -hmm. And I was learning a lot about theater. Like, basically, you go to the previews, and then you tweak it, and then between the preview and the opening, there's lots of tweaks. So first night of previews, I thought, this is brilliant. What could you possibly do to improve it? I was just so knocked out. And there's a woman who's a talented actress named Dana Smith-Kroll, oh. a Yale-graduated Yale brilliant actress, who's playing me. Oh. And I had no idea what a great actress she was because she's playing me, and she's got a kind of a rock and roll, butchy, dykey, chefy edge. And so I'm like, oh, she's doing a great job. And then after the show, you realize that she's all Femi Fufu with makeup and a dress. I'm like, she really is a great actress, you know. Yeah. I was reading a review, Chef Rossi, and one of the people said, uh, there's a little story about it, that uh, one of the people in the audience walked up to her and said, you know, Miss Smith-Kroll after the show, I bought your book. So uh-huh. they, they so she played the role so well that, yeah, that people are buying her book, mm-hmm. when in fact mm-hmm. it, it's your book. But this is really a cool story, and the story is going to continue. But oh it God, is it about to. love, and it's, mm-hmm. it's about food love, too, because those are my memories from childhood as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. and even today. Together. Mm-hmm. Like when I, what I learned, the other thing I learned that first day at the Javits Center was people would get online, and I didn't know how to sign a book. I had never published a book before. So I would write these really long things. I'd be like, I'm so happy you came by. It was really nice to meet you. And it was like by the time I was halfway through the line, my hand was falling off. And I was like, I need something shorter to say. And then I thought about the whole reason I wrote the book, which was really in tribute to my mother and to what I learned about food, which was that food is love or really should be love. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, there it is, of course. And I wrote Food is Love. And what I and that's been my way to sign books ever since. Um, and what I thought that first night that I got to see the play when Dana was like doing this awesome job playing me and the wonderful actress named Marilyn Sokol is playing my mother and this brilliant guy named George Salazar who's like an Instagram superstar is playing D 
DJ Skillet, and he plays all the male parts in the play, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, the end of the play, they come to that same place that I did that day in the Javits Center, that it all comes down to food is love. And that sounds like a simple thing, but it really isn't. I mean, I go out to dinner all the time, and I eat food. I had dinner with, with Charmaine, my catering director, who's also kind of on the brilliant side as, a, as an actor and a director herself. And we went to this really good-looking restaurant, very cute, puppy-looking restaurant that she'd had a drink at, and she just thought the food's got to be awesome because the place is adorable with leather furniture and yeah. fireplace. The food was terrible. I know. And it wasn't like, it was hard to understand why. I mean, I had just roast chicken with spinach. It was so simple. But there was no love whatsoever in that yeah. food. Like Whoever is in that kitchen either needs to retire or was having a really bad day. I mean, both of us left. We left with this feeling that you get when you subjected yourself to inferior food, but it wasn't just that. We left with this feeling of kind of an emptiness, and it was because we had just eaten a meal that had no love whatsoever. And I think you can taste when there's love that goes into your food, but I really do think you can feel it, too. Yeah. You know, I want to ask you this question. Actually, we're going to go ahead, Benny, and skip the break if we could. Um, I want to ask you this question because, you know, it's like anything. Uh, You know, you are out there. You're taking this message. The play's phenomenal. Uh, Who played your mom in a play? Marilyn Sokol. If you Google her, uh, she has a 52-year acting career. She's been in everything from Woody Allen movies to, I mean, her face will be very familiar to you. And... She was a knockout. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I just, like, I, I actually wrote a letter to the playwright after the first time I saw it, and I said, thank you for giving me back my mother. You know, I could cry just saying that, but that's just how it felt. Yeah, and so I want to just, like, for anybody listening to the show today, we would love to bring this play to Seattle. Uh, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, Chef Rossi and I got a few other ideas. But many of you that listen to the show... You actually know and know people in Seattle to help us make this happen. So listen, what I would love for you to be able to do is if you've got any thoughts about it and want to get in on how we bring Raging Skillet to Seattle, like send me an email quickly, info, I-N-F is in Frank, O at the drpatshow.com, T-H-E-D-R. PatShow.com. And what we're going to do is we want to solicit your help to bring this here because I think that the play was made for uh, Seattle. The other thing I want to say is the governor went to the play, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. The governor of Connecticut went and he loved it. He brought his wife. He loved it. We've had all sorts of celebrities coming. I had kind of, uh, you know, the last day of the play is, is very sad. I mean, yeah. it's wonderful and it was a smash, but. The actors and I were all hugging each other, and we were crying. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's like a postpartum depression. Yeah. But um, I was like, you know, I would, I would like something. Like, I'd like, you know, my higher power to give me something to cheer me up because I felt, you know, so sad about it. And I was, you know, a hardcore Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> addict forever. <laughs> you know, that was like my favorite show. I just loved her. Yeah. Anyway, um, who 
who came to closing night and who was there at our little soiree after with Dana. Turned out to be good buddies with Dana. But Buffy's mom, oh. who I had loved on the show, and we're like hugging and taking pictures together, and I'll send you one, don't oh, worry. Oh, please. And so I almost thought like, wow, God, you know, thank you. You gave me that, and I got to see the Game of Thrones finale the same night. It was a really good way to cheer me up. Uh, you know, it's interesting about these transitions. What You know, as we go from one sort of milestone, I don't like to think of things as beginning and endings, you know. I think of them as milestones because, right. you know, there is a different vision, too, you have moving forward. So, for example, one of the things is we're going to be changing up uh, the radio a little bit. But also, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great to have this play come into Seattle and play here for months and months and months or mm-hmm. even take it on the road? Uh, mm-hmm. But ultimately... This is this play and your book and everything about it is fabulous, you know, film material. I mean, oh, definitely. and it's so definitely. relevant to the time we live in. Definitely. It's kind of interesting because, I mean, this sort of kismet things are happening right now. Like right now, I don't know if you're noticing the 80s are suddenly really big. They're in TV shows and movies all over the place. And my book is really a, a love story, in a way, of New York in the 1980s. Yeah. So, I mean, they should just have it as like a history book. Yeah. And the play also really brings up all of the music of the late 70s, early 80s, and a lot of New York in the 80s and early 90s. And I feel sort of like the universe is calling for that right now. It and is. a while ago, well before I'd ever uh, seen the play or knew anything, uh, really, what was going on, I was on my book tour, and so many people told me that this should be a movie, this should be a movie, this should be a movie. And I didn't really see it as a movie until one day I saw Natasha Leone. I don't know if you know her from Orange is the New Black. Yes. She's done a bunch of things. She did by yes. like Cheerleader, Slump oh. of Beverly Hills. Oh. Anyway, I saw her playing me. And from that moment on, the screenplay just flew out of me. Um and I've rewritten it a couple of times. We've even had a reading already with actors and done some tweaks. Um, and I've got two awesome buddies who are in the film industry, Jennifer Dean and Eric Rice, who've been helping me tweak it. Anyway, I feel like the screenplay is like, it has to be. It's just It just has to be. It's too good not to be. Well, can I ask you a question, too? Because, you know, you and I were talking before, and I said, uh, you know, listen, This raging, just saying raging skillet for me just brings up for me so many memories of my own childhood. You know, Mm -hmm. even before I met you, right? And Linda's like, you got... You You had had a life before you met me? I wasn't as, it actually wasn't as brilliant as it is now. And that is actually the (laughs) truth. Um, But the thing was that there's an energy about things. And when you talk about the love of food and food love, right? Right. I get it. And I think everybody out there gets it. And yet at the same time, you can go to some of the best restaurants you think are the best. And you walk in and you can feel an energy that isn't about the love. But there's something more to it that connects our hearts, especially in families. What was it for you? Well, I think, you know, I learned a lot about the food love pairing, you know, growing up because My mother 
pretty much like you would be injured, you'd be hurt, you'd be, you know, you'd bang yourself as a kid. And she would always try to find that one kind of edible magic that would cheer you up. Mm. Like, I really loved chicken noodle soup, but like with like a crazy amount of noodles and not very much of anything else. So if I cut myself or banged myself, she would, she would bring this out, she'd make it up and she would serve it to me and she'd say, have some soup and know your mother loves you. Now, my mom and I, we had a bad time when I was a teenager. Um, our fights were legendary. A lot of people have asked me about that because I ran away from like, when I was 16. So why did I run away from this mm-hmm. loving mo- woman who was bringing me chicken noodle soup? But right. we didn't really jive that well when I was a teenager. Right. And it took a long time for me to find my way back to her. Thank God I did, you know, before it was too late. And one thing that she really taught me that I carried ever after is that you can flavor food with love. Mm-hmm. Like she could have made that same chicken soup and kind of being angry when she did it and not caring what I thought with the same ingredients. And it just wouldn't have come out. It wouldn't have come out the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. It just, it just is what it is. So there's so many things happening in the world right now, you know, like, Terrible, terrible things we just had in our country in mm-hmm. 2017. We had Nazis marching in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. 2017, I'm watching Nazis march in Virginia and, and chanting anti-Jewish things and yeah. Nazi things. I'm, I'm like, as much as I miss my mother, I'm happy that she wasn't around to see that because she would have said what she always said in moments like that, like, has mankind learned nothing? Yeah. So... Clearly, you know, we have got to do some serious loving. You know, it's, it's not an, I mean, of course, you know, my first reaction is to run out to all of those Nazis and punch them all in the face. You know, mm-hmm. of course, how could you not have that reaction? They're mm-hmm. just walking, spewing hate, you know, but that reaction doesn't get rid of them. It just fuels them and makes them worse. So we've got to find a way to turn the tide of hate, which unfortunately... It's really big in the White House right now. We have some hate mongers and fear mongers in the White House right now. You know, we've got to figure out a way to turn that tide of hate, however we can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying getting people to eat food full of love is going to make them stop hating, but I am kind of thinking that those horrible Nazis, maybe they were brought up with a loving mother who really cared about them and made them chicken noodle soup. Maybe they wouldn't be such jerk-offs today. You know, you know, I have to tell you, it's really interesting we're talking about this. I watched an interview with one of the, uh, one of the, the men that was uh, responsible for leading the march. And the woman that did the interview was literally brilliant. But there was a moment in the interview where you could see him fighting off the tears. You know, you could see him, especially after right. the, the death. And you could see him, and then ultimately you could see him cry. See, those are the moments I hold on to. Right. For me, those are the moments of hope. Humanity. Of hope. Because, you know, you're never going to see him say something like, I don't know, like, oh, my gosh, we're never going to do it. But but that moment, that one moment, albeit as, as short as it was, that's what gives me hope that we can come to the table and have in our hearts the goal of understanding each other better. See, I think that's part of it. You know, I think it's part of it. And you're right about this. You know, you grow up 
with a level of understanding or a le- you know, I got to tell you, nobody could be, t- there couldn't be two different people than me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Two different people. Just so different that we're not able to even have a conversation like this. And so yeah. I choose not to have it because what I realize is I'm willing to have conversations and move my point of view. I'm willing to move my point of view to meet you at a different place than either one of us is right now. But there right. are You're some things. You're willing to listen. You're willing to be I'm open. willing to listen. But I got to tell you, Chef, there are some things that are not negotiable for me. No. And you just named one of them. Your mom yeah, is no. right. Have we learned nothing? My mom would have been saying the same thing. Look, you can't really talk to a Nazi because, I mean, you know, but at the same time, you got to figure out a way to get rid of these guys without creating more. Not to say that they're all guys, but somehow I, I don't see a lot of female Nazis right now. That there was, there's so much fear-mongering and hate-mongering. Yeah. And what you know what's really, really, really shocked me, and I, I can't help, on the one hand, I would like to attribute it to the 45th president, but on the other hand, obviously, it was there before he got there. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. What shocked me is how much racism we have in this country. I mean, I knew it was there. Of course I knew it was there. But I didn't know how much. Just like I was shocked at how much sexism has been in this country. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm realizing more and more that it's a lot more than I realized. And mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's good that we know that it's not hiding and lurking about. But on the other hand, Lord, you know, I wouldn't mind burying it back under the ground and leave us alone. Mm. But, you know, I, this is a time, look, it, we just went through this eclipse. And this mm-hmm. eclipse and the movement now forward, especially now if I get all astrological on you, when uh-huh. Mercury comes out of retrograde this week, you are going to see the full spectrum of what this eclipse means, because this is what what has been happening leading up to it. Now, why do I even say that? Here's what's going on. People that could not believe and were not aware. My best friend, for example, Pulled out of her house. What was it? A week ago when the mar a week ago, pulled out of her house to go to the shop right uh, in Jersey, pulled out of her house, drove by a church and saw the KKK bands, saw the, the post. And she was like, I couldn't and I cannot curse on air, but I don't even want to repeat it. I couldn't even, she couldn't believe it. So here's really the good news, if there is good news, and there is. See, awareness is awareness. It's not awareness about the good things only. It's awareness. Right. Right. When we come back from break, this is really the question about food and love. Mm -hmm. Once we have the awareness, and I really praise, I praise her right now because I know her really, really well. And there was a moment where she considered pulling over the car. That's how much you know what she's got. She had a moment, but she didn't. And she doesn't have to because why? She was so heart struck by this. But now we have awareness. When we come back from break, now that we're all aware, what are we willing to do to bring love into the conversation? Chef Rossi, I'm Dr. Pat. We're going to take a shorty. We'll be right back. We're taking your calls. 1-800-930-2819. 
Want to know? Got anything to mouth off about? We're here. 1-800-930-2819. We'll be right back. Try the salami, Tommy. Give with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate, too. Here's Cacciatore, Dory. Hi, this is Laura Richer, host of On The Verge Radio. Sometimes you hear encouraging messages like transform your life now, become empowered, create the life you crave, and it all seems overwhelming and you're not sure where to start. I'm here to tell you that self-improvement is not always fun and easy, but it is always worth it. The path to creating positive changes begins with releasing the things that have been holding you back. Then you can create a life that inspires you. I know this because I've done it. You can find out more about what I do by visiting my website, seattlehealinghypnosis.com. I look forward to supporting you on your journey. Tune in each month to Synergenetic Living Radio, where Rick and Grace Paris discuss the synergenetic way of life, what it means to truly change your perspective in life, what it means to take control of your life and manifest your true desires. For more information on Rick and Grace Paris and Synergenetic Living, check out synergeneticliving.com. Get clear on the life you desire and the current life you are creating and what is between the two. Synergenetic Living, living life loud. Discover the healing medicine from the giant monkey tree frog, Cambo. Cambo practitioner Ginny Rutherford and professional psychic Todd Rolson have come together for lively discussions of alternative healing medicines from the Amazon. Ginny and Todd bring you Cambo Talk Radio. Tune in each Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific to hear from guests all over the world with real life stories and the medicinal benefits of Cambo. For more information, visit CamboKiss.com. Known for his keen sense of humor, contagious smile, and extensive esoteric wisdom, EJ translates deep spiritual wisdom into practical advice to empower you to live your happiest, most fulfilled experience. Mystic Living Radio, deep spiritual wisdom, practical advice with EJ, Eliyahu Jihan. This hit show delivers profound experiences for all who want to live life to their deepest desires. Tune in monthly for Mystic Living Radio. Learn more by visiting vitaltransformation.org. Do you want to heal your body and mind? Your body has a lot to tell you if you just learn to listen to your intuition. Audrey Michelle, host of Rewired Life Radio, can help you peel away the layers that are holding you back from living your best life. Tune in to Rewired Life Radio. Learn to love, heal, celebrate on Transformation Talk Radio every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Connect with Audrey at AudreyMichelle.com. Have a banana, Hannah. Try the salami, Tommy. Give with the gravy, Davy. Everybody eats when they come to my house. Try a tomato plate, too. Here's Cacciatore, Dory. Taste the bologna, Tony. Everybody eats when they come to my house. No kidding, everybody. Hey, for more information about Chef Rossi, please go ahead. You can Facebook.com, Chef Rossi NYC for New York City. Uh, Twitter.com, Chef Rossi. TheRagingSkillet.com. And then, of course, on Transformation Talk Radio, Mouthing Off Radio. We got some cool things planned as well. Uh, For those of you out there that want to find out more and get a copy of the book, Book is pretty much available everywhere. And, you know, we've got lots more planned. Um, 
You know, Chef Rossi, we were talking during the break, and I was just sharing a little experience about the love, right? Um, right. And we've got to be able to open up a conversation about how to work with the love. So I was a corporate person and the phone company. And the phone company was very well known for their big, you know, let's do diversity. Let's let's even out the playing field. They were known for that. Right. A part of that worked and a part of it didn't. And so they got all the different groups together because there was a group. There was a group for uh, Hispanic. There was a group for African-Americans. There was a group for this, a group for that. There were groups. And they brought them all together and they said to the groups, how can we get a dialogue going? Do you know what they came up with, which was a brilliant hit? What? Where we recommend that you do a food fair Mm -hmm. and have different tables of different cultures. Oh, that sounds great. It brought people together. It It brought people in conversation about different foods. And it was such a smash hit. Well, listen, it's, they should probably go out to the Middle East and have everyone cook together. Oh, yeah. I think that might, might work. Yeah. I get calls all the time from corporate clients who want to do a cooking thing for what they call team building to get people working together and caring about each other. So they like the idea of doing a cooking class where everybody cooks and then eats what they cook. And that's their idea for team building and for moral building. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think, you know, why don't we do this? You know, why don't we get like the head of the Palestinians and the head mm-hmm. of Israel together and have them make a meal together? And I don't know. In my head, I just think somehow food, I mean, everyone loves to eat. So maybe we could use it as a bonding agent. Like you never know. Crazier things have worked. But we do know, because if we go back in history, mm-hmm. if we go back, I'm talking thousands of years Right. We do know that it does work, right? Sure. I mean, how, how yeah. many stories have you read? They sat down for a big feast. Well, wait a mm-hmm. minute. Mm-hmm. Who the heck is cooking the food mm-hmm. if you're sitting down for a big feast, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What is back your... In, back in caveman days, like oh, if, you yeah. were in love with, if you were in love with somebody and you <laughs> wanted them to be your, your mate, you probably just went over and gave them like a, a chicken leg you know, or whatever prehistoric turkey leg. I think Benny's laughing. He's into it. Are you, yeah, Benny? Are you, are you who, Benny? Said, who says that long ago? I did that yeah, now. I was just going <laughs> to say. I like you. Here is the smoked turkey <laughs> leg. Yeah, yeah there I it is. I saw someone now at the eat. Miami Book Fair seduced someone that way. Went over and gave them one of those giant smoked turkey legs. I'm like, well, that's one way to do it. I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, let's, and this really kind of brings me to talking about what is your fondest that you can think about today? What is your fondest food love memory? Oh, my God. That's really hard to answer. I've got so many of them. I know. Well, there's something my mom used to make. Like, some of my mom's dishes, like, if I say them to you, they really don't sound that great. But it's, you know, what you grow up on. Mm -hmm. So my mom used to make lasagna. She never used ricotta cheese. She always used cottage cheese. Usually it was cottage cheese that she got on sale, Mm -hmm. low-fat cottage cheese. Mm-hmm. And we didn't mix our meat and dairy because we were kosher. So mm-hmm. she would layer the noodles and then the cottage cheese and then ragu tomato sauce because we always got that on sale and then more noodles and on and on and on. And she would make this thing and we all loved it. We loved it. But I loved it, you know, for dinner. But what I really loved, like what, you know, I could still, you know, salivate saying it. I really loved 
having it ice cold for breakfast the next morning. Oh, yeah. And that was my thing, especially when I discovered marijuana. That was really my thing. But <laughs> my mother, you know, my mother knew that, so she would always make sure that one way or another, even if she had to hide, put things on top of it, you know, that I could have that cold lasagna in the morning. And so one year, it's Passover, and so, of course, that meant no pasta and no lasagna. And this is years before we had all these gluten-free pasta substitutes. And so I was like, oh, I definitely won't get my lasagna. And my mother figured out a way to make that same lasagna using matzah for the noodles. And evidently, if you get matzah wet enough and you bake it, it really kind of becomes a sort of a noodle. And so she made me matzah lasagna, which was really, it actually was really good. A little constipating, but it it was really good. (laughs) I thought, you know, that was such a love fest. So. You know, I I mean, well, I think we have those moments and I think uh, I don't know if you guys listening have a love food moment you want to share. But let me just open up the phone lines in case you do. 1-800-930-2819. Tell us about your love food experience and your food love experience. Yeah. I have that song now. Listen, I'll tell you something. Um, I have an experience where I cooked the worst thing in the world that became one of the most loving acts that I've ever experienced. And, you know, this was when uh, I first met Linda. Linda went off, her parents went off, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden we found ourselves, we don't know how to take care of ourselves, right? Because when you have mothers like she did, mother and father, they take care of, they cook and everything, right? Or you go out to eat. Me, I'm like, I only knew very little about anything. So I thought, you know, let's look, our folks are gone. Everybody's gone. I'm not homeless anymore. Let me cook. A, I said, what do you want? Someone wants a roast beef. I like a roast beef. And I said, right. okay, I'm going to get the roast beef. I go to the store. I look at the meat and I say, I'm going to get this roast beef. And by the way, oh my God, look at the price. It's so good. And I get the roast beef and I'm doing like the roast beef thing with the onions in the pan and the whole thing. And I'm cooking. I said, so how do you like your roast beef? She said, I like my rare, you know, her family, because I remember that from her mom, you know, who was like, mom, I roast beef rare. So I'm cooking it, cooking it rare, cook it rare, pull the thing out. Right. And I got it all on the table and it's all like pretty. And we're going to have this big holiday roast beef. And I go to cut it and I put it on the plate. And Linda just looks at it and says, oh, what kind of roast beef is this? And what kind of cut is it? And I thought, what kind of cut? You know, and and so I said, well, I don't know. Let me go. So I had the label and I said, oh, it's a bottom round chuck. So Linda's perspective is roast beef meant prime rib, rib roast, rib roast. I'm serving her chuck. Right. You're serving her like the deli cut. I'm no, I'm serving the cut that you put in pot roast. Right. Right. That thing. Right. This is love. You're cooking it. I'm trying to chew it. And I'm like, oh, my God, well, I don't want to I don't want to say anything. Doesn't, it doesn't want to be rare. It wants to be cooked forever. Cooked to death. Tough as nails. Right. Linda right. ate it. Oh. And it wasn't until I think I don't know, like when I finally discovered that her mother told me when her mother was going to cook the, the cook her own. Her, her mother was like, this is roast beef. And I'm like, oh. And I turned to Linda one day and I said, Oh, my God, how could you even eat that thing? 
and that's love. See that that's how we treat that's people love. with respect. Linda's a good apple. She's it's a, a good, good apple. apple. But you know, these are the stories, right? So mm-hmm. I remembered that because when time goes on and now you're sitting at a table with someone that has prepared food for you and it's mm-hmm. sitting in front of you and you put it in your Mac mouth and you're kind of having a little gagging reaction, swallow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, actually, you know, when when you say roast beef, they mm-hmm. usually mean the lesser expensive meat. Yeah, yeah. Usually like a top round, it's a lesser expensive meat. Like yeah. if you're going to cook something like prime rib or, you know, some gorgeous thing of meat, you don't usually call it roast beef. So, you know, you're kind of vindicated. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank Good. you. I am. And Linda, I said that. She's Thank probably you. listening. Linda, don't you pick on her yeah. about that. Yeah, but I got to tell you, Chef Rossi, there's absolutely no excuse for me cooking a holiday turkey for five hours, taking it out, putting it on the table, thinking it's done, only to realize I never turned on the oven. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, Oh, my gosh. That's about the worst I've heard. Don't you think that's pretty bad? That's pretty bad. Yeah, Yeah. because, you know, listen— Part of this is learning in life, and sometimes sure. we have to learn to love, don't we? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've made horrible mistakes, culinary mistakes, so it helps to keep a sense of humor. I remember I, I got this job. I used to uh, chef and work in the kitchen for lots of other caterers, and to this day, I always tell people, and I'm famously known for this, that I'm a terrible morning person. I mean, <laughs> I'll get up early, but then I want to write and do my thing. If I have to do something or be seen or interact with people... I don't want to do that before 11. Like the whole reason I have my business is because I'm incapable of getting to work before 11. But I got this job one day cooking for this kosher caterer. And so since they couldn't cook from Friday night to Saturday night, they had a wedding on Sunday. They started like 6 in the morning or 5 in the morning on Sunday. And so I'm there. I'm bleary-eyed. I can't even think. And, I'm, and I say to the head chef, I go, what can I do to help? And he says, throw everything on the list in the double boiler. Oh. And I guess... He was going to make the wedding cake right then and there. I mean, the guy was crazy. So I said, okay. So I threw everything on the list in the double boiler. And I go, and, and I go, what now? He goes, you know, stir it, melt it. So I'm stirring and melting. I go, what can I do now? He goes, now we're going to make um, the cake. And so I said, okay. And I, I said, but I put everything on the list in the double boiler. He's like, everything? I said, everything. So I had put the icing and the cake, and like everything that went into the wedding cake was melting on the double boiler. So the end result is they served a a one-level, one-layer wedding cake with a big bowl of pudding, which is what I basically created in a double boiler. So it was like on the one hand, it wasn't my fault. On the other hand, if I'd been a little more awake, I would have known that the list wasn't the whole page. And from that point on, he never called me for work again. Oh, that's funny. But, you know... I mean, I think about experiences like that and, you know, this is be, this becomes part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And part of who we are is being able to look back at some of this and really laugh. And oh, there yeah. are a lot of failures, if I had to use that word in my life, uh, because our tagline for uh, crust busting in the Dr. Pat show was, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And I never knew I could fail. It was just somebody else's label on what I was doing that set that stage. But I never really in my consciousness understood and still don't understand. I don't understand the word fail. I don't know, Chef Frosty. What am I thick-headed? I, I think that's awesome that you said that. Because usually women, you know, are really taught from an early age 
that we're not as good as men, that we can't achieve mm. as much as they do. I mean, we start off kind of okay. Like, I mean, I know for me, I was like a superhero when I was like six, seven, eight years old. Then right around the time we start looking even remotely like a woman is when we're suddenly told, no, you can't do that. That's for boys. No, you can't do that. You can't be president. You can't be a leader. You can't be any of these things. And uh, no matter how much we fight against it, it gets in there. It's like a little voice whispering in your head, you can't do this, you can't do that. So for you to have that internal message that you can't fail, I mean, that's wonderful. Like somebody did something right when it came to bringing you up. I'd like to go and give them a kiss. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I got to talk to you about this little thing. Maybe you can help me. I'm a little stuck on something. Uh-huh. Okay. Wonder Woman. You know the movie? Uh-huh. love her. All right. Love her. I found out, and it made the history books back in June or something, that she got paid 300000 for Wonder Woman. Okay. And she's going to get 300000 only for the Batman. For That's it, 300000 That's so, it. That, was, that movie made a fortune. Yeah. So what did I do? So here's what I did. I started a petition, and I sent the petition to her and her fan base. And they wouldn't post it on the website. And finally... Uh, I guess they didn't like that I was starting a petition. And so she finally had to come out at the end of the June and talk about it. And I thought to myself, Wonder Woman, the movie is beyond $650 million. And I said to myself, what is it about her? She's being, I think she's being diplomatic about it. And I can understand that. But what is it about Hollywood that think it's okay to have $650 million in the bag on this movie, and shamefully still hold to paying her three hundred thousand. I don't understand that. What you is know, it? Just Hollywood me? Hollywood is so sexist. Look, they got this gorgeous woman who um, was known in Israel and not known in America, and they, you know, they threw her. They threw her a bone. For her, it was the chance of a lifetime. So on the one, on the one hand, what she's got now is now she's an international superstar. Now she can do a movie, like the next movie she does, she can say, no, I, w- I want $3 million, not $300,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not with this company. Right, not with no. these guys, because they, no. they already just but said you're going to get what, three. Yeah, That's what she had to do to get in there and do the movie. And so that's kind of typical, like your first movie before you're a star, you don't get that much money. Mm-hmm. But it's still actors, male actors in Hollywood are making so much more money than female actors. And female actors in Hollywood, it's like their career is over when they turn 40. Mm-hmm. You know, Meg Ryan, biggest thing going, she did so many movies, she couldn't get an acting job to save her life right mm-hmm. now. There's some, there are some exceptions. Susan Sarandon is still mm-hmm. working, but generally she's playing the grandmother or the mother or the mean boss or something like that. She's not playing the leading lady, whereas a male actor who's older than her can still play the leading man. And that's why... Women in Hollywood have so much plastic surgery. It's terrible. And they're not even looking like themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's what I love about this, because this is just one thing, right? So mm-hmm. what happens with this now is everybody comes out and is now wanting to explain. Like Vulture comes out, uh, you know, EW comes out, Vox mm-hmm. comes out, Glamour comes out. And they're uh-huh. all like, let me explain why it was so low. I here. Let's not debate why it's it was so low originally. Let's ask the question: 
now that this is a blockbuster movie, what are you willing to do to make an adjustment studio, right? That would be a good thing. Like, at least give her a bonus. Come on. Right. And so in the scheme of things, we have people like Keanu Reeves, right, who Mm -hmm. does the multi-gazillion billion dollar Matrix movies, Mm -hmm. gets a giant salary, and gives Mm -hmm. most of it away to the crew, Oh, good for him. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. So this is really kind of an interesting dialogue about what it is that we can become more aware of, because that's what I said when we came back from break. Now that mm-hmm. we are aware, was it loving or not loving of me to want to start a petition? I didn't start it in anger. I didn't be no, like, no. blah, 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 blah. I'm like, OK, this is one way to say something. Mm-hmm. The problem with what I did is I didn't know she didn't care. And so for me, I'm not willing to step in somebody's hula hoop that doesn't want to right. invite me in. And I think this is really what I was saying to you before. None of us are going to know until we try. You got to get right. out in the world and try. But it might not be that she doesn't care. I'm sure she cares. She just doesn't want to make waves because she, yeah, she doesn't. doesn't want to rock the boat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's talk about this idea of now I'm aware. What do, where do I go? Because for you, now you're aware. Now you have a new mm-hmm. vision. Now you have mm-hmm. something that you want to see continue with Raging Skillet. Tell us about mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, I when I started doing uh, the radio show with you, do you remember what I said is my main reason why? Mm-hmm. Main reason was that I wanted to have a bigger mouth, <laughs> that I was very, very upset about what happened uh, at the election, very upset about what was happening in politics, very upset about what was happening with women's rights, with um, the racism and sexism in this country. All of those things were upsetting me so much. And I, I wanted to fight back. I wanted to speak out. I felt really empowered by doing the Women's March in January. I wanted to speak out. I wanted to resist bad things. But, I mean, I knew, look, I, I'm not somebody who can go to jail. I'm mm-hmm. too much of a wimp, you know. <laughs> I have too many issues. I'm too neurotic. I'll probably be constipated. You know, like, I, I can't go to jail. I'm not tough that way. Yeah. But what I do have is I have a really big mouth. So I thought what I want is I want a bigger mouth. So going on the radio with you gives me a chance to talk to more people and to really say what I want to say more. And... Having this wonderful experience with the play, I mean, I don't know how many people I met, but it just with so many thousands of people, um, I think I was like trying to do the math, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is at least 7,000 or 9,000 people that have now seen this play, that loved it, that are speaking about it, and, and going out in the world, and, and that has a domino effect. Um, I just want to be able to get out there and preach, do my own Jewish version of it, mm-hmm. you know, a better world, that men and women are equal, that black and white is equal, that being cruel and being a Nazi and being a white nationalist and a white supremacist is not good and not right. It has to, has to be pushed off, pushed off into the big ocean and let the waters fly over it. Um, and so I have a voice that I want to be out there. And the play really has helped that, thanks to this wonderful man, Jacques Lamar. And the book has really helped that. And 
Now, I just finished the first draft of my second book, which is going to be a whole other journey. Um, I turned it into the feminist press, and I'm waiting, you know, with goosebumps to find out what they think of it. Um, and I, the screenplay is out there. I've already started having really wonderful people asking me to see it that are in the industry, and the buzz is brewing. Mm. So what I'm hoping, really what I'm hoping right now is that the play will tour the country, that it'll go to Seattle, that it'll go to Los Angeles, that it'll go to New York, that it'll go to Washington, D.C., and it'll go to Dallas, Texas. Texas really needs as much love as they can get right now. Yeah, they Texas do. Texas really needs me. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, the book will t- go everywhere, and the second book, and the movie will come out, and Natasha Leone will play me, and I have a lot of dreams. <laughs> you know, what can I say? You know, I, and I don't even drink caffeine. I have a lot of dreams. <laughs> but, you know, in the moment, I, I really, really, really just need to amplify my mouth to try to spread this thing of love and try to change the tide of hate that's happening in this country right now. I think that is really the, the reason, you know, for all of what we're doing here and, you know, what it is that we're doing to be something that can become bigger without a lot of effort. That's what our technology, um, you know, design is all about. And we're starting to see it, Chef. You know, we're starting mm-hmm. to look in beta test some things. And I love the simplicity of it that the user will have. Yet at the same time, behind the scenes, it's connecting messages to a hundred places with live streaming video, interactive mm-hmm. graphics. And, you know, Jessica has done an incredible job to really put her time and energy, her love for what we do. Mm-hmm. So this is another Jessica's way to awesome. express love, right? That's right. We have to do it. Jessica, if you're listening, we think you're awesome. We do think you're awesome. Yeah. She's doing this obstacle course thing, too, now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. She's, like, doing this, like, kind of, like, obstacle course and being able to climb walls and... Oh, wow. Jessica, you're so butch. She's so... It's just incredible. The other thing she did was she... Because she she knew knew that I skydive. Love skydive, right? You ever seen my little skydiving picture? I'll have to send you. No. Now you have to send it to me. I know. So, you know, this is really what we're talking about today. When we build something, all of you, when you build something, anything, add at least three quarters of a cup of love. Right, Chef? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, thank you for today. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with? Well, I mean, aside from the obvious, you know, which is that food is love, um, I think my personal message is, you know, we all want to sit around kvetching, as my mother would say, about all the terrible things that are happening. So just go out and change the world. You can change it a little bit at a time. But, I mean, if all of us just went out there and changed the world, it would change real fast. I totally agree. And we can still show up as love. That's right. That's what we can do. That's right. That's what we can do. That's a lifelong lesson for me, though. But I'm I'm getting it a little bit now. Oh, I think you got it. I I'm think you're ready to teach. All right. <laughs> Chef Rossi, everyone, and we've got something planned in future shows. You're going to love it. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Mouthing Off Radio with Chef Rossi. Tune in on Transformation Talk Radio. And if you have missed any part of this, check it out at theragingskillet.com or Transformation Talk Radio. 
www.chefrossi.com. Say hi to Chef Rossi, let her know what's on your mind, and we will bring it to the next show. Visit theragingskillet.com, and don't forget to get your own copy of the hit memoir, The Raging Skillet by Chef Rossi. See you next time.